Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Now Matt, I'm looking across at you here and I'm thinking, I see a dancer in a magnificent outfit strutting around or tutu or something like that. Is this what's going to be the future of you? Because there is a bit of a whisper out there that you've now started officially your Dancing with the Stars rehearsals. Well, I do like your rose-coloured glasses. (laughs) (laughs) If you can see all that from where you're sitting, I'm very impressed. (laughs) I did say to the organisers when they asked me to be part of Dancing with the Stars that I've danced twice in my life. One was at my wedding, and I'm not sure if I'd call that a dance. I moved around. It's a bit of a light shoe shuffle sort of thing, was it? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I moved around on the dance floor with my wife to do the first dance, and yep. then we said, please, everyone, come and join us. And quickly, I have done dance. Quickly get on the floor with it. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> and I have done Dancing with the Stars once before, mm. and it would have been maybe 10 years ago. It was a long okay. time ago. Maybe okay. the first year. So you've had 10 it. years to practice since then. <laughs> you'd think so. I'm assuming you? that you've done plenty of practice. Well, the concept was a little bit different then. I was actually really impressed when we did it last time because it was essentially a ballroom dancing scenario Okay, and they assigned each star and I feel a bit over the top calling me a star but oh, they, well, they assigned you, each you put the title next to your name now so there it is <laughs> they assigned each person each participant a professional or not professional but, a, but a, a very accomplished dancer and so I had a young lady who was an absolutely brilliant dancer mm. And so I had to do some bits, and she did lots of other bits that were much better than my bits. <laughs> so she You're the made, Phil, were you? Right? I think yeah, so. Yeah, she yeah. made me look very good. And oh, I actually well thought that night was quite good. I do remember David Peachy was there that night, that uh, the year okay. I did it. Yep. And he's obviously a very talented sports oh, he, person. He could move around a uh, football field pretty well, so I'd he, imagine he moves around a, a dance floor right, as did, well. He did look very impressive, very coordinated. Yes. All the things that I'm not... <laughs> Very coordinated, very talented, very very uh, graceful in his movement. So he looked fantastic. But I I think the concept then is well, now has changed a bit since then. Yeah. So now it's a bit more flexible, and mm-hmm. they certainly get the dance studios kids. So the kids that are dancing in dance studios yes. much more involved in the dancers. So I did have my first rehearsal on Friday night during the week. How did it all go? Well, the kids are very good. I'm very impressed <laughs> with the kids. <laughs> the The moves that I've got to make, we haven't even worked out. I think they're still assessing right. just how many left feet I've got. Yes. And after the final Am I foreseeing maybe a tree suit here with you <laughs> swaying in the breeze or something? Maybe. <laughs> just like get, the kids do all the dancing at the front? If I could get away with that, I would. But I think they want to see at least three moves. So right. <laughs> they'll work on that. But anyway, I think it's a good cause. It's a wonderful cause, yeah. Tickets are on sale now as we speak. People can donate money. So have a look at my social media. I put a bit of stuff up on social media. I might even, oh, I don't know if I should, put some... Oh, so the little videos, mate. Well, I thought about that, and as I said it, I thought maybe I should just do some photos. <laughs> We're it. trying to sell tickets here, Matt. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away. That's, that's true, right. that's right. Yeah. Downplay it. Yeah, that's keep, exactly right. Keep the excitement building. As well, we see, I always like the way the fact here, too. You're coming in this with a – so everyone's going to have a, a low expectation of your <laughs> dancing ability. <laughs> I'll be expecting, you know, a Billy Jean sort of recital factor sort of happening here on the night now. Is this the way it's going to be? Uh, no, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I think the low expectation is is definitely Just keep it low. required. Yeah, that's right. But look, again, I think the people that get involved with it, they all get in and try and do something. And I've yeah. been to various events as an audience member of Dancing with the Stars as well, and yep. there's a whole variety of things. And people do – actually, I think the dance studios do a very good job of taking mm. – what they've got in terms of how much people can move and dance 
and using what they've got there to actually mm. put on a good performance. So oh, I think they will be entertaining. Yeah. I think all the dancers will be fantastic from that perspective. Even if I've got an incredible lack of talent, <laughs> then I think they'll make it entertaining for people. Absolutely. Oh, well done for putting your hand up anyway for that. Yeah, That's fantastic. You. Good job. You. you say that now. You haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be cheering you on. No, Don't you'll worry. be away when it's on, unfortunately. Oh, so, right? so, oh. so you can easily say, I yeah. would have bought a I ticket. I would have bought a ticket for you, mate. That's right. You have to send me the video now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, look, all the talk this week has been the touch football, hasn't it? You know? It hasn't been Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Not as yet. We'll save that for later on. Uh, but the touch footy, like yeah. uh, numbers-wise, it's what they say, 9,000 people have turned up over the course of the weekend. Is that right? Yeah, been fantastic. And obviously been down there a few times during mm. the event. We did the media launch on Thursday. And just in general terms, just such a positive feel. The weather's actually been good. Obviously, when this goes to air, the Sunday, you know, this Sunday morning, yeah. this goes to air, so I can't tell you what the weather will be like Sunday, but certainly mm. Friday and Saturday, very good. They were worried at one stage that some of the heat protocols might have kicked in. Well, so Friday was pretty hot, wasn't it? It, it was, was pretty hot Friday. Yeah. 37 degrees is where they start to look at their heat protocols, uh, but it's a combination okay. of temperature, wind, and humidity. Mm. So even though it hit 37, which is where it starts to come into effect, the humidity and the wind were at a level or that it didn't need to have okay. any of the protocols engaged. Yeah. So that was good. But that was when I spoke to the organisers on Thursday, Dean Russell, the CEO of New South Wales Touch, uh, I spoke to on Thursday. He was a little bit worried about the Friday weather with the forecast, but mm. Saturday and Sunday he was more comfortable mm. with. Obviously, Saturday turned out to be fantastic, and hopefully Sunday is fantastic. Mm. But just it's such a positive feel oh. there. And people are there. They're happy. They're looking around mm. about with, with the grounds we've got there. They're relaxed. Mm. But just some of the, the numbers. So we talk about... 202 teams. Okay, there's a definite. We know that's definitely 202 right. teams. Yeah, that's, wow, up that's from huge. Last year we had it, 187 teams. Oh, wow. Right. The 9,000 is an estimation, obviously. But what's great about kids' sport when we host kids' sports events mm-hmm. is that 14-year-olds can't drive a car. So if a 14-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old comes to an event, someone has to drive them. That's mm-hmm. usually a parent or a carer. And more often than not, it's two parents or Mm. two carers. So Mm. now we've got one child and two carers. So now Mm. we're up to three, but then from that, maybe there's a sibling or Mm. two. So you might get some other people come along. So each person that comes along, Mm. it might average, say, three or four people come along Mm. to the event. So that's fantastic with kids. Is there a financial sort of way that, that, is there a way the council works out financially what the input is for, uh, for us as a community with something like this? Well, there's a couple of different ways. We have an estimation that says one person one bed or one night, if you like. So one person, one night equals $200 into our economy. So when a 14-year-old's playing touch footy and brings mum and dad along, there's three people, $600. Now, Mm. you would say, well, it's not going to be as good for a family that brings along, say, three kids and mum and dad, Mm. as opposed to the state bowls championships, which are coming up, Mm. which will be mainly adults coming along. One adult staying one night might be $200, three kids and to mm. parents, is that $1,000 really? Mm. So it's an average. Yep. And again, okay. I accept the fact that when it's kids, it might be a little bit less than that. When it's adults, a bit more. But on average, we say mm. about that $200. Now, if you if you break those numbers down, if it was 9000 so take that, yep. multiply that by two, yep. you get 18000 yep. in terms of the, the sort of um, $200, sorry. So you, you get eighteen, and then you get three nights they're staying for. Mm. So that uh, 18 times 3 uh, is 54. Yep. So you're talking about $5.4 million. Say, my quick little mass was about 5.4, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. what we've said in our media releases is about $4 million 
in the economy. Mm. And again, that's probably because it's a little bit less with some of the children involved there, but it's an estimation. We can actually get some accurate numbers and we do do some reporting with some of the banks. So for example, we can find out how much is spent last weekend Mm. in Dubbo through all electronic means. So FPOS, out of ATMs, everything that was spent electronically. We don't know the cash instantly, but we can find electronically. We can then look at how much is spent electronically this weekend. Mm. Now, if we got that information from one bank and one bank had a 40% market share, we could extrapolate from that and get a pretty accurate indication. So we do that sometimes as well, and that's some of the ways we come up with that $200, for example. But you can do it a couple different ways. But in general... I'm pretty confident there's a minimum, minimum mm. of $4 million into our economy. And that's just this weekend. That's the, just over the, these three the, days. Let alone probably the marketing aspect that comes from having 9,000 people in here who then go back and say, well, that was a wonderful weekend. Where'd you mm. go? We went to Dubbo. Yep. How good was that? Oh, what's the, I haven't been out there. Oh, great spot. Or we'll go back there because yeah, we, we had these three days booked here and now – now that I've discovered yeah, the zoo yeah. or the Royal Flying Doctor yeah. Visit Experience Centre or Old Abo Joe, I'll come back again. Yep. So you're right with all of that. Mm. And if you break it down, well, how does that affect individuals there? Mm. So, for example, I went down there and talked to some of the people with stalls there or Little Life. So Little Life's doing some car parking, for example. Yep. Yep. They're probably going to generate ten grand just based on the numbers they told me. Yeah. They're going to probably generate $10,000 minimum out of car parking. Oh, isn't that fantastic? Just from people coming along, yep. parking there. They've got some of their volunteers they're working yep. and they're Probably just directing the people. the kids sort of stuff there yeah. as well, I'm sure. It's a good activity for them to be involved in. Exactly yeah. right. Directing people into the car park. Yep. That's it. So, bang, there's one organisation. I talked to some of the vendors, and I won't go and say mm. individual names of some of these individual organisations, yep. but I talked to some of the vendors there. One of them pumped through almost... 500 a day in terms of the, the product that he was selling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, coffees there, you know, people were pumping through huge numbers of coffees there. Yep. So in general, you've just got these incredible numbers going through yeah. in terms of just the various businesses that are there. So, and most of those are double businesses. Uh, some of them are out of town, but again, they're there. But then I've been into supermarkets in the mornings mm. and I just see people walking around and most of them have got their touch footy gear on anyway, so yep. you can easily so you know, spot them. them. That's right, they're the so visitors. they're spending yeah. money in supermarkets. I've seen restaurants absolutely packed, booked mm. out. You can't mm. get into a restaurant over the weekend. So mm. there's all these different indicators about mm. that. There'll be petrol stations. People are going to buy petrol to drive back home. Mm. So there are so many different aspects. And I even think, and I haven't got anything to back this up, I haven't got any data I can give you, but sometimes when you're away from home and you've got time just to... Uh, relax for a second. Mm. I mean, the parents probably aren't relaxing, their kids are competing, but they get to the end of that and they might go, oh, I've been meaning to grab that new pair of shoes. I'll just duck Mm. into the sports place and grab that new pair of shoes I've been meaning to grab. So you might even get people who turn up and forget things. So they might have turned up and, did you pack your shoes, Jimmy? Oh, I didn't. The old off-the-cuff purchases, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, quick, we better duck down to a a sports place now and grab some new shoes. So you'll find that you'll get other spin-offs that you don't even realise as part of that. But that $4 million, I mean, that's That's not just made up. That's a number that's based on good data from the past. Mm. And we'll see it again. Now, remember, we've got this contract for three years. That's great, isn't it? Another two more years to go. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So 202 teams this year. Maybe it'll yeah. build up again next year once that word gets out. Can we find us or also give a big uh, shout out to the council staff who have been working tirelessly leading up to this? You know, I... That they started uh, preparations for this over a week ago. It's it's been um, f- from the point of view of the physical sort of side. They've probably been preparing this side of things a lot before that, but certainly physically, getting up those big tents, getting all the the chairs, 
marking the fields, getting the lawns all sort of mowed up, you know, going through those walks along there in the morning. You've been seeing this for over a week leading up to it. Boy, oh boy, that's that's a great uh, sort of sign of just how good our little council workers are as well. You're spot on there. And one of the things that certainly, and I haven't had the comment this year, I'll, I'll maybe get the comment again, I'm not sure. Mm. But I know last year when I went down and went for a walk around one day, I talked to a few different people and one of them, or actually I had a couple of them say it, but one comment in particular, he said, these are just fantastic, the grounds mm. here. Who did you get in? To get the grounds looking so it was good. A professional group you did. Yeah, that's right. That's and it, I yeah, said, yeah. well, our staff, what? Your council staff? Yeah, our council staff do a really good job. Wow, this is impressive. Mm. So people don't realise, especially some of these people from away, they just assume that we had to have experts come in to make yeah. the grounds look so fantastic. Yeah. But you're right with the preparation. One of the things that we've certainly done over the years is we've tried not to get involved in a bidding war for these events. Mm. And I don't like the fact that you've got councils and public money that ends up in bidding wars for various activities and various events. And I understand why you might do it. $4 million, if we had to spend a bit of money to get $4 million, you'd say, well, that was worth it for our overall community. Mm. One thing that different organisations try and do sometimes is just throw more money on the table. Well, look, we'll pay you 50 grand to come along and host this event here. I mean, we've talked about NRL clubs, Mm. 350 grand, Mm. but I'm just talking about other events as well. When we were first approached about having the one-off event last year, we were happy to do that as a one-off, but then we were putting in the bid next time around. It was really about, okay, what should we do? Now, I know from talking to other councils, some councils would throw $100,000 on the table, and we were very keen not to do that, but what we were keen to do is to say, we want to make sure it's successful for you. We want to make it a good event. We just don't think it's right to take $100,000 of ratepayers' money and put it on the table. We'll give you a little bit towards marketing we will give you a little bit towards hosting the event but we'll make sure the event is run smoothly from this end so things Mm -hmm. like putting up the tents getting the grounds prepared other places might say we'll give you the money and then it's up to you to i mean they still do the grounds but up to you to do the tents or whatever so from our perspective helping out with those things is better for them because it makes it easy because absolutely these organizations are based in sydney so Having all that work done, keep sending people out to do it, trying yeah, to do it remotely, yeah. find that you turn up and, oh, it hasn't been done quite right. Yeah. So that's one thing that I think we do differently to other councils. It's also We're, probably allowed those organisations like New South Wales Touch you to focus on the important things, getting the administration right. Yeah, that's right. They yeah. don't want to be mucking around no, going, no. oh, who's who's got the job putting those? Did Tommy get that tent up in time yeah. for us or what's happened in the fields down there? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we've done well there and we've done well there with a range of events like that, whether it be cricket, whether it be little athletics, whether it be touch footy, trying mm. to make it as easy as possible mm. for an organisation to say, we should go to Dubbo because, gee, it was easy yeah. to go out there. And Absolutely. so if we get that reputation, it's better than just, oh, let's go to Dubbo because they pay lots of money. Yeah. But the tournament was a disaster because it just wasn't well organised. Absolutely. Having that combination. And I think touch footy do do a very good job. But I also want to mention Dubbo Touch Association. Mm. They've also contributed money Brilliant. and a huge number of volunteers if I'm New South Wales Touch, I'm not only looking for a council that's supportive, mm. but I'm looking for a local club that's very supportive. Yep. So the club here has done a fantastic job, and they've had some great people involved in the past and in the present as well to try and make it happen. But again, for a local club to contribute to say to council, we'll put money on the table as well. Mm. That's a, a really good sign. But also just the volunteers, just yeah. to make sure they're there and making it happen. So well done to Double Touch Association. Absolutely. I think here, here. they've done a fantastic job as well as our council staff. Well, great job to everyone involved. Now, I've noticed here, Matt, that uh, during the week you met with NBN. So uh, the authority of the group there that's uh, sort of setting up here and progressing the fixed wireless footprint and upgrading the um, the network, how's 
how are we going out here in Dubbo when it comes to internet access? Is, are we as good as it gets anywhere or what's happening? Well, if I go back a lot of years ago, and a lot, a lot of years ago when I was on council but not mayor, they made the announcement. Stephen Conroy was the minister at the time, made the announcement at the NBN. I went, this is fantastic. Mm. Alan Smith was the mayor at the time and I said, how do I get in front of Stephen Conroy and really push our barrow to try and get Dubbo progressing? Uh, Mark Colton was a member and so Mark and Alan organised a meeting for me to go down to Canberra and sat down with Stephen Conroy and some of his advisors just talking about how important it was for Dubbo, regional locations, etc. Had some discussions, I remember having discussions at the time about geostationary satellites and saying to his advisors, don't worry about calling that MBN because geostationary has got too much latency. Mm. But anyway, mm. they still went ahead with that despite right. my, the best yes, advice objections. I could give them. Yep. <laughs> but in general, it was trying to put Dubbo on the front foot. Progress a few years after that, we put a proposal in and they weren't taking proposals. They they weren't saying to communities, can you tell us why we should bring the NBN to your community first? Mm. But again, Alan Smith, the mayor, Mark Riley was the general manager. I was saying, I think this is really important. And they agreed that it would be good to get on the front foot. So we put a document together. We got staff at the time to put a document together and we lodged a submission with NBN and they went, well, you, there isn't a submission process. We know, but mm. we, we want you to take notice of this. On the back of those things, you don't know how much of an impact it had, but if I'm an organisation that's trying to roll out something, I'm probably wanting to go to places where people are keen and they're going to take advantage of it. And we had various testimonials about various people who were going to take advantage of the ambient, et cetera. Mm. So we actually rolled out fairly early in the whole scheme of things. One of the things that was really important was when the technology was being changed mm. from fibre to the premises to yep. fibre to the node. Yeah. And again, we were very keen to keep fibre to the premises. And we actually had the announcement. There was one announcement that was made. And that announcement was, yes, fibre to the premises. And this is when Turnbull was the minister. Mm. And so that's great. We've got Dubbo still fibre to the premises, not going fibre to the node. Yep. And then when it actually rolled out, unfortunately, it actually did get downgraded a little bit. We've got seven FCMs in Dubbo. FCM stands for Fibre Serving Area Module. So those seven FCMs, basically each of those can have different technologies. We originally were going to have seven Fibre FCMs. We've now got, well, when it was rolled out, we end up with four Fibre FCMs and three Fibre to the Node FCMs. Right. So that wasn't perfect and I was a bit disappointed at the time when that happened, but it was a decision made by is, the federal Is that government. across the board? Is that a fairly standard situation for most cities? No, most of them, uh, when they were being rolled out from that time, ended up getting copper. So that was fibre to the node. Yep. And as you would probably understand from that, it means you get fibre run to a certain area, to a, a, a node, and then mm. from that node... Gets distributed out to And via copper. And yeah. so the copper that was already in the ground was u- utilised then. And yeah. I won't go back over that whole debate that was happening with the federal government at the time mm. about... The coalition trying to get in and say they changed the, the mm. technologies there, but that was all that part of it. And of course, we had fixed wireless in there as well. Yeah. So if we jump forward to now, I do meet with MBN on a regular basis, and it's good just to have that communication, that link. There's a number of different organisations that I meet with just to make sure all those channels are open and relationships are open, but you want to keep progressing as much as you can. So the good news is a couple of parts from this is that the process that's happening across Australia now, and you might have argued it's an argument as to why they should have gone to mm. copper in the first place, but they're upgrading the fibre to the node areas to fibre to the premises. Right, and there okay. are certain conditions around that. They're not just doing a blanket upgrade. Yep. If someone hasn't got an NBN connection, they're not going to upgrade it. Mm. If someone's got a base speed connection, 25 meg, for example, then they're not going to upgrade that unless you say, I want to upgrade that, and then there might be some conditions around mm. that. People that have got the faster speeds, then you can say to your retail service provider, your telco, I would like to go to fibre to the premises, and that should happen for free. So 
the of the FCMs in Dubbo, the three that are still going to copper or using copper, at least two of those are now available. So if you've got copper at your place and you've got a faster speed, yep. have a look at that. Talk to your local telco, your local retail service provider, because of course you can't have an account with MBN. Mm. That's the wholesale in the background. But if you've got copper there now, good news is there's a possibility you might be able to upgrade that to fibre. Is there a reason why they've suddenly decided now that this is a good time we need to upgrade? I think they're just saying we want to upgrade all those copper connections over the next, say, decade, and we've got to do it across Australia. And so they're obviously just picking places where they might have more connections, uh, Mm. more higher-speed connections sort of thing. Mm. So. I, I don't know the internal mechanisms in terms of MBN, but mm. good news was, again, these are things yep. that you find out about, and, and part of my job is to help communicate that yep. to the community. The other part is fixed wireless. So the fixed wireless footprint is being expanded now, so they're getting further with those fixed wireless okay. towers. Yep. And again, you sometimes might need to upgrade the equipment in your place. depends how long ago you got fixed wireless. And they're also upgrading those speeds. They're not available yet, but they'll eventually get the stage where they'll have, if you're close enough to the tower, you'll be able to get 400 megabits per second out okay. of your fixed wireless. That's very solid. Yeah, yeah, very, good. very good. Yeah, yeah. and of Absolutely. course, you've got Starlink thrown into the mix here now, which is not an MBN product, of no. course, but Starlink is a low Earth orbit satellite. The MBN satellites are geostationary satellites, so they sit at the same spot above the Earth, approximately 35,786 kilometres above the Earth. So at that height, you notice latency or a bit of a delay, especially if you're doing video conferencing, for example. Low Earth orbit satellites, though, well, technically they sit anywhere from about 160 kilometres to 2,000 kilometres above the Earth. But in the case of Starlink satellites, they sit around 540, 550 kilometres above the Earth. So that's much better from a latency perspective. If I just go off topic slightly... A geostationary satellite, so it's above the same piece of the Earth, so when the Earth spins around once, so one day, the satellite spins around once, it stays above that same piece of the Earth. So they're travelling still at that distance from the Earth at about 11,000 kilometres an hour. But in the case of a Starlink satellite, in one day, so one rotation of the Earth, the satellites spin around the Earth 15, maybe 16 times a day. So every 90 to 95 minutes, you're going to see that same Starlink satellite above you. So they're travelling closer to 28,000 kilometres an hour. NBN are probably going to look at low-Earth orbit satellites. Okay. I don't think they'll do it with Starlink, but they'll do it with someone. But that's certainly thrown mm. a bit more competition into the mix. I was going to say, there is competition now. And yeah, the Starlink right. stuff is, seems to be working well, particularly for the, the rural-type uh, residents out there who have always struggled over the course of time when it came to uh, internet access. So, yeah, okay, well, it's rather interesting from the sound of things. And it sounds as though things are starting to move forward uh, again with the NBN, which is good to hear. Yeah, and it's also good to have those relationships so that you can, if you've got a special circumstance where you need something, you've got people you can call on, mm. uh, again... The number of meetings you have, the number of discussions you have, it's really about always just continuing to promote Dubbo. Mm, Absolutely. Chamber of Commerce. They're a uh, terrific little group in town here that um, I'm assuming probably meet fairly regularly. You might, I guess, sort of uh, update us more in regards to that, Matt. But uh, one of the things that you've met with them here, there used to be a CEO series that uh, used to run here with the um, Council or the Chamber of Commerce. Um, tell me, is this something that's going to be back on the agenda again? It's been on the agenda. And so go back to answer your first question first. Chamber of Commerce, regular meeting every three months. So someone right. like MBN, I might meet with ad hoc, depending on what's happening and there's some things happening at the moment. So they reached out to say, can we have a quick chat, chat yep. and a discussion? Yep. Chamber of Commerce, very important organisation for Dubbo, for Dubbo's businesses. Mm. And I think a very progressive Chamber of Commerce, and in terms of chambers that I've seen across the land, then I think they're one of the best 
Chamber of Commerce that's is great. In, in existence. Yep. So that's fantastic. And from my perspective, it's really just making sure there's a good relationship between council and the Chamber of Commerce. And you sit down and have those meetings for three months and talk about whatever. Mm. Around rhino time, you might be talking about the rhinos. Around this time of year, just talking about how the business community is. It's a good way for me to keep a bit of a handle on how the business community is travelling. Is it tough out there at the moment, the retail world? Are things going well? Are they finding it hard to get employees? What's happening with, with businesses in general? So that's good. One of the things we did talk about at our last meeting, though, was the CEO series. Now, the CEO series was an idea I came up with way back probably uh, nine or ten years ago Okay, where I wondered if we could just get some CEOs from ASX 200 companies, so not just any random CEOs, mm. serious companies. And, yeah. and if you've made it to be a CEO of someone on the stock exchange but in the top 200 mm, in market capitalisation, right, you've had to have done something right along the way. Yeah. I don't think they just say, let's just grab any mug off the street and mm. throw him the job and put a couple Seems of like a nice bloke to have a chat to sort of thing. So not really that. You're, you're far more advanced than that. You hope so. You hope mm. you've got a, a fair bit of an idea. You might have kind of gone through that company. You might have had some success elsewhere. But we thought that would be a nice idea and we thought, I wonder the chances of doing that because – the Chamber of Commerce has had breakfasts where they've had guest speakers for a long time. Mm. But if you're just relying on people in your local community, you start to recycle those people. And, and that wasn't the reason I just came up with this mm. idea with the CEO series. But in the end, I said with the Chamber of Commerce at the time, many years ago, what about if I, as mayor, invite some of these ASX 200 CEOs? And I don't think we're going to get everyone say yes, but we'll invite a few out from the, from the top, start from the top and work our way down yep. through the series yep. and see how we go. And at the time, we got Qantas Link on board to fly them out here. We got mm. the zoo on board so they could yep. stay at Zufari overnight. We weren't going to pay these CEOs any money, yep. but we thought the idea of staying at the zoo might be enough of attraction and they can then talk to us. Yeah. And as it turned out, it was incredibly successful. And yeah. we had these CEOs from major companies, and I won't rattle off names because yeah. I offend some that I, that I don't mention, <laughs> but we're talking about ASX 200 companies. Yeah, so you yeah, don't have yeah. to start at the top, and that's where we started at the yeah, top, ASX yeah. 200, and worked our way down the list. So a lot of those came out, and it was interesting because I got asked it many times. The Devo Chamber of Commerce, well, actually technically now known as the Devo Business Chamber, was asked the question by other chambers of commerce. They said, how did you get Billy Blogs? How did yeah. you get Mary Blogs? How did you get them out there? Yeah. And I know my answer, my flippant answer was we asked them. We asked them, that's right. But there's a bit more than that. We obviously made it sound mm. attractive enough mm. to them that they couldn't possibly say no. Yeah. Getting out here, talking to people potentially with their clients, staying at Zoo Safari, mm. for example, that's a, a mm. different experience there. Yeah. So really made it as easy as possible. And we've organised flights for you. We're ready to go. So again, it's about making it all easy. Mm. Mm. In the end, we had an amalgamation came along and that's where it stopped. Oh, okay. So, so it hasn't been going since then. No, no. Again, right, okay. and after the amalgamation, these are the sort of things that happen with amalgamation sometimes. Mm. Good concepts, good ideas like this kind of fall over. And it did need council's involvement. Anyway, one of the things that I've talked to the Chamber of Commerce about is once I was back on council, I said, well, I've got lots of things to do, but maybe we should revive that CEO series. The Chamber of Commerce said, yeah, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Let's do that. So we're going down that path. We need a few things to fall into place to make it happen, but I'm certainly keen and the Chamber of Commerce is keen as well to actually get that happening. I think it's a wonderful thing because I think at the end of the day, any workplace, and we can call it the Chamber of Commerce a workplace because they're, they're all very keen people wanting to advance their business and their skill set. If you can turn around and get some fantastic mentors and uh, people into the workplace, people who can sort of uh, sit and consult and to discuss and to provide new ideas and uh, give a new insight, well, that's that's good for everybody. It's good for everyone. But, but what we also found was 
their breakfast and their mm. breakfasts they have are quite successful. Mm. You might get, and, and I'll probably offend them here when I say a number, but let's say you normally get 30 or 40 to a breakfast. And yep. that's good, and that's good for a Chamber of Commerce to get that sort of number. When you have the CEO series, mm. suddenly you find those numbers 60 or 70. Yeah, and right. Some of the ones that are yeah. better known. Yeah. And I think the Microsoft CEO was one where we probably had 90 at that breakfast. That's fantastic, so isn't it? once you get these names, because again, if I'm a business person in Dubbo, I'm thinking, gee, I wouldn't mind hearing from yeah. person X. Yeah. They're the CEO of this company. Yep. And even if I haven't heard that person, I may have heard of that person, I may not have, but I've heard of the company. Mm. And these people are typically being paid millions of yeah. dollars a year. Let's get some insights. Let's get some yeah. ideas. Surely they've got some idea of things that are happening. And every single one of them, I guarantee people would walk away and they would have picked up at least one idea from mm. that. But it's also just a bit of interest and in how people got there, yep. I think, is interesting as well. Yeah. So, it's a good yeah. way to sort of create that networking as well. Oh, absolutely right. Mm. Now, you met with uh, QantasLink during the week. Um, tell me, uh, our numbers out at the airport, are, are we increasing? Are, are we getting more people taking regular flights down to Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and things like that? Our numbers are finally getting back there. Before okay. the pandemic, we were just hitting 200,000 passengers a year. So right. that was pretty exciting. We cracked 200,000. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the pandemic came along. So that was all. No one flew. Yeah, that's right. Pretty mm. much. And now it's building it back up again. This financial year, we're not at the end of it, obviously, yet. A few months to go. But I'm pretty confident we'll crack 200,000 passengers. Oh, so so we're back to the, uh, the pre-pandemic levels almost. And I'm not sure, obviously still a little way to go, I'm not mm. sure exactly what would happen, but in maximum terms, we could have our highest year ever beat the pre-pandemic, but it'll be up there anyway around the sort of pre-pandemic rates across country regions, uh, yeah, country town regions and cities and things like that? Are we, I'd imagine numbers like 200,000, we must be up there as one of the busiest airports in, certainly in regional New South Wales, if not regional Australia. Well, this is one of the interesting things. Yes, we are in terms of regional, and it depends what you call regional. And this is part of the issue, isn't it? Right, yes. We think of Newcastle or Wollongong. Provincial. Yes. Yeah, as being mm, small metro, provincial, yeah, whatever it might be. So I don't really count them as regional. So if you exclude the bigger places like, like that, Gold Coast maybe and things like that. Exactly right. Yeah. Exclude those, then absolutely 200,000 numbers yeah. in terms of a regional airport is right up there. What was interesting from one of the parts of the discussion with Qantasink, and again, this is just one of those discussions you have that's uh, ad hoc. It's not necessarily, mm. I don't meet with Qantasink every three months or anything, but we have regular discussions, mm. is in terms of their numbers, because Qantasink is the major carrier. We have 200,000 passengers. Qantasink is the number one carrier, the, the majority of the market share mm. there in Dubbo. Mm. In terms of their numbers individually, when they look at their network, the same thing mm. again. If they eliminate the provincials, the Newcastles mm. of, mm. of the nation, then in terms of airport numbers, we are up there. And I don't know. And, and again, I actually did actually mm. ask that from the Connorsink rep. Uh, he wasn't sure off the top of his head, but certainly it was hard for him to think of too many other airports across the nation mm. that do higher numbers than Connorsink and, and, and accounted as regional. Are they looking at uh, because our numbers are growing? Are they looking at maybe? Is there any talk about bringing on more flights out this way or? I think that's a constant monitoring process. Yeah, okay. There was a, a big change made many years ago when they went from the Q300 plane. Mm, mm. So that was held about 50 people on that plane. Yep. And if you can remember back to the old days of the Q200, which had 30. I can think back to that. Was it the Fokker Friendships? Oh, you're going back a long way now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Q200, I think, had about 
32, maybe 36 people, but mm. around that sort of number. Q300 yep. was the more common one, which was around 50 people. The Q400 came along, which was 72 people. So mm. that added a lot of capacity, yep. but didn't necessarily add extra flights. In fact, I think they might have even dropped back a few flights when they went straight from the 300 to the 400, okay. because yep. obviously you, you're putting 22 extra seats in. Yep. So it's all about the number of seats you've got between Dubbo and Sydney. Mm. And I remember when Alan Joyce came out, and uh, spoke to us about a whole range of different things we were doing. One of the things we spoke about at the time was we'd love to see more flights or bigger flights. Could you talk about bigger planes coming in? Mm. And Alan said the thing that they had, the experience they had in terms of flying, was that the way to service an airport, in particular a regional airport, was frequency. So you could put on a large plane, you could put on a jet, mm. and you could have one flight a day between Dubbo and Sydney. But that wouldn't always be convenient if you want to go down to Sydney for the day and come back mm. or you want to catch a concert at a certain particular time, whatever, then you want the frequency, not necessarily just the number of seats mm. on the plane. So yeah. that's the tricky part. But it's a, it's a really tricky process managing all of that low capacity. But I think they would be looking more at that capacity and seeing how they can manage that. And if it starts to get to the stage where those flights are full, mm. then they would obviously start to look at other flights they might add on. But yeah. we also have Rex there, and Rex do a fantastic job as well. And Rex, without a doubt, keeps mm. prices low from Qantasing, and Qantasing mm. keep prices low from Rex. So that competition mm. is fantastic. But I've seen lately too that flights, both Qantasing and Rex, are flown on both, are getting fuller all the time. And obviously yep. that's yep. resulting in this almost 200,000 or over 200,000 will hit this year. But I think in general, both of those airlines will just keep monitoring and see what they need to add into the network. Just, just very quick, have you had any uh, discussion recently about Badgerys Creek in, in regards to how uh, – is, is it going to be a more of a regional-based setup for where we're going to have to fly into or are we going to keep the, the options open down there at the, the mascot base? Yeah, we hope it doesn't turn into the regional airport. We've yeah, had yeah. discussions with... I think everybody's hoping that, actually, to be honest. It's yeah, a long way from yeah. Badgers Creek to get into the city. Well, that's exactly right. And there are times I know when I've got to go to something out at Homebush, for example, mm. oh, do I fly or do I drive? Because by the time I fly down there and then drive all the way out there, so there would be times when a Western Sydney airport mm. would be quite helpful, quite useful, but we certainly talked about it at country mayors. We've talked about it at regional cities in New South Wales. Mm. We've had discussions with the government, federal and state government, but more probably the federal government controls some of this component around airports to make sure that regional areas aren't forgotten about yeah. when Western Sydney Airport, oh, good, we'll just put all those people there. Now, if I'm the owner of Sydney Airport, I want to bring in larger aircraft. Why? Mm. Because I get to charge those airlines per passenger. So if someone says, I want to fly a 36-seater in, or I want to fly a 300-seater in, mm. well, I've got the one slot for them to land in, yep. but my one landing with 300 people is going to give me about 10 times the amount of income yeah, as right, a 36-seater. Okay. Yep. So there's so, quite an incentive then to sort of still get the bigger planes out of Battery's Creek. Well, no, no. Well, there's the, the incentive to get the smaller planes out of Sydney Airport. Because oh, sorry, of course. I'm the yeah, owner of Sydney yeah, Airport, yeah, for okay, example. Right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and if right. I'm the owner, okay. I'm saying I want mm. as large a plane as possible coming in because mm. I've only got my my limit to my business growth yep. is how many planes come in Are they owned by the same, same group? That is a good question. As far as I know, technically, the Sydney Airport is still owned by us, by the Australian government. But it was back probably somewhere around the turn of the century, maybe 2002, it was leased for 99 years to Sydney Airport Corporation Limited. So they're the effective owners, if you like, well, at least until the year 2101. Western Sydney Airport is still owned by the Australian government, but 
after it's built and maybe operating, they may well do the same as they did with Sydney Airport and lease it for 99 years. But for operational purposes, for the sake of this discussion, the two airports have different effective owners. It's a bit of a watch this space, isn't it? It is. Matt, uh, talking about uh, Sydney Airport, um, reforms potentially to Sydney Airport and uh, regional city New South Wales and how that's going to uh, impact us. Is this, is this uh, talk me through this. What, what sort of reforms are they looking at putting in here? Well, I don't know for sure. There's been an announcement made by the Honourable Catherine King MP and she's a Minister for Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Local Government. Mm. We do meet with her semi-regularly. In fact, we're meeting again with her next week over in Canberra. But they want to look at the slots and the slot mm. management. Now, I've I've spoken to the slot master. I don't know what the official title is. sort of stuff you alluded to in the last uh, little piece, isn't it? Yeah, well, okay. a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Now, we were trying to get flights. Virgin were looking at coming to Dubbo many years ago. Mm. And they're still looking at coming to Dubbo now. But the problem they have is slots at Sydney Airport. We talked to Virgin. We went and had a couple of meetings. I remember going up to Brisbane, for example, meeting with Virgin. A couple of meetings we've had with Virgin around getting... Sydney, sorry, Dubbo to Brisbane, Dubbo to Melbourne flights. We've got them now with Link Airways, which is fantastic. But at the time, we were talking to any airline, including Virgin, about that. Mm. Now, they were very keen to come to Dubbo. But they said, we think we'll be able to make money out of Dubbo as long as we can fly to Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne. Mm. And we're happy to look at that. But the slots are owned by airlines and you've got certain slots and the complicated makeup of slots and right. the time of day and all sorts of things. And I said, well, can we help? And Virgin said, if you can get slots for other airlines to fly between Dubbo and Sydney, happy days, we'd love to talk to you. So mm. we went down and I met with the slot master. Again, I don't know slot his official master. title. But, but, but the, the master I'm sure that's his official title. Hello, Jeffrey, the slot master. <laughs> it sounds like something from Thomas the Tank Engine, that's doesn't right. it? <laughs> it sounds a bit, that's right. So I met with him. Did you meet a, the fat controller as well? <laughs> well? Well, I didn't make any comment <laughs> on any of their girth, but I, I met with the slot controller and basically mm. what I learned out of that visit was that the airlines themselves control those slots, and they mm. control where they go. So the airlines control the slots. So we've got in Dubbo, we've got Rex and Qantas Link that service Dubbo to Sydney. Mm. They've got slots in Sydney. Now, they don't have to use them for Dubbo. They could decide tomorrow that there's more money to be made by flying to Wagga or mm. Tamworth than there is to Dubbo. So, for example, if they were using a slot and they were finding, you talk about frequency a moment ago, and they were finding that their planes were only half full and and either airline this could be, and so they're half full. I'm using up a slot for that. Well, if I go and fly to this other location that's the flights are fuller there, I'm able to build the market over there. So my slot that I own, in inverted commas, for Sydney Airport, well, I'll now start using that for Wagga. So it's not actually slots that are set down, though, from a point of view of a specific flight. They're just simply owned by the actual company. So, for example, if, if I had a time set up there from, I don't know, let's say from Dubbo to Sydney, I don't know, let's say at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning, should be a normally busy time, uh, but for whatever sake, let's say there's only 10 people getting on board that flight and I can't sell any more flights. Am I able to cancel that flight to bring another plane in from somewhere else and, and use that slot for myself if that's my company option? Well, you probably wouldn't be able to bring it in from somewhere else on that day because it would have needed to be flight bookings and right. a whole range of things there. Yep. But what you could do is you don't want to let go of that slot. So theoretically, what you could do is you could book flights going into those 
and then knowing full well you're not going to have the passengers to make it a justifiable flight, you might make a business decision to cancel flights deliberately because if you don't use those slots, ah. you lose those slots. Oh, really? So you don't want to lose them, not just a one-off. Yeah, but, yeah. But if you get the stage, if you said, oh, we've only we've got 80 slots a week yeah. and we really only need 75, we'll hand them back. Well, you know straight away that your yeah. competition is going to jump all over yep, those absolutely. and suddenly you're facing more competition in some of those areas you're flying to. So if I'm the airline that's got those flights, then I might say, well, you know what, I'll just put flights on there and if I've got to cancel a few, then I can live with that because I don't want to lose my slots. Right. So you also have, and again, I'm not an expert on this, so take this as being 90% accurate, mm. but you've also mm. got, as I understand it, flights that are set aside for in the state so intrastate and then flights that are interstate. Right. So you might have different slots set aside for interstate and intrastate. But again, those airlines have got that, those slots. So is there any way then of, of knowing, like unless there was been a storm or something heading down in Sydney, if a flight gets cancelled from Dubbo to Sydney, just use our, our route specifically, is there any way of knowing if it's been a business decision made by Qantas to cancel a flight or if there's a genuine reason why they cancel the flight? You could ask the person at check-in, but they may not give you the <laughs> correct information. Either, right. so they may not right? know themselves, so maybe a decision made at a, at a higher level. What, yeah. So what the reform, hopefully, and again, there's been a reform announced. Okay, fantastic. Let's yep. look at slots. So that's the announcement by the federal government. Are they looking to address this as a problem? Well, obviously someone somewhere in government has identified that this is a problem. Mm. Now, I don't know what's going to happen out of this. It's a reform, so they're going to look at that. Essentially, they're going to look at making sure that you've got priority for different flights, including regional flights, at certain times. And one of the things that I personally would prefer to see is based on the demand and the needs of a, a regional place is I would like to see slots allocated to a location mm. and then let the, the airlines compete for those slots. Mm. In other words, let's say Sydney Airport says, right, we've looked at the demand across the network and we've got pick that number again, 80 slots, 80 slots dedicated to Dubbo. Now, what airlines want to fly there? And let the competition happen in terms of the airlines. So then it would mean that Virgin could come along, Qantas Link and Rex, fantastic, mm. Link Airways that are flying to Brisbane and Melbourne. Anyone could come along and say, yes, we'll put in a bid for those slots. And they mm. might win the bid for the next 12 months, for example, or whatever that time frame might be. Mm. But if you did that, and if, so that would be guaranteeing flights to certain locations if certain slots were allocated to those flights. Now, when I say guaranteed, it might mean that no airline bids for that. So if you mm. said, we're going to have 200 slots set aside for flights to a small community with 3,000 people in it, then they're probably not going to get those. Yeah. But again, I don't imagine that that would happen. No. Sydney Airport wouldn't want that to happen. Yeah. But if you did it based on demand and on population and gave some sort of spread across mm. the network, mm. then airlines could compete on those and you might get better servicing, I think, for mm. regional airports. Mm. So I don't know what's going to happen out of the reform. Bottom line is... So, so the reform state, is it at a discussion stage right now, is it? It's just started. It's yeah, it's okay. an announcement at this stage. Yeah, Certainly, right. and if I put on my regional cities New South Wales chairperson hat for a moment, yep. I've done a media release about this and basically supported it because for regional cities, very important. We've got those 15 cities mm. in the regional cities network. Most of those have airports, and the airport is incredibly important mm. to the economy of each oh, of those local communities. It's a lifeblood for many centres, absolutely. Oh, it is, absolutely right. So mm. it's good... 
I think it's something that's been needed to be looked at for a long time. They're certainly not talking about increasing the number of slots, increasing the – some people talk about the fact that you've got a certain number of landings and takeoffs per hour at Sydney Airport and it can handle more than that overseas. They handle more than that. Mm. Some people then get nervous because then you're putting planes closer together. So I don't think the reform is talking about changing the numbers. It's just changing the management of those, I mm. think, is really the focus of that yeah. reform. Who knows what will come out of it? Reform, the holiday of reform is to look at it and see yeah. if we can do it better. Yeah. But I think there is no doubt about it that there needs to be something happening there to make sure we've got protection. Now, on the back of that, is that all getting ready for Western Sydney Airport? Mm. I don't know. Mm. But I hope, my hope is for Dubbo and for regional cities in general that what will happen when you've got Western Sydney Airport and Sydney Airport is I hope that I can get on a plane and I can fly to either of those mm. locations. Pick or I, choose an option. You know, yeah, that's right. If I take right, this flight, are, it's going to go there. If I take this flight, it goes that one. And there are times yeah. at Western Sydney Airport, I may need to go there. Maybe there'll be times it's cheaper there. So if I'm going mm. down to Sydney and I'm just going down there to visit my family and I, I need to get down to have much money or I need to go to hospitals out west mm. or there's a concert on out there at, mm. at Homebush, for example, there might be options where Western Sydney might be a better option for me, but I'd be very disappointed if the only place I could fly from regional mm. air, uh, air locations was into Western Sydney. Yeah, that absolutely. Would, that would be uh, harmful, I think, to regional economies. Mm. So totally long way agree. to go on this one. Very interesting and very complicated discussion. Mm. We'll watch this space and see what happens. Barden Park, that wonderful athletic centre over there in North Dubbo, um, looks as though it's set for a resurfacing. Um, I didn't even realise it even got to that sort of point in time. Is, is wear and tear is that the the problem right now with the uh, the track and uh, and how is this uh, whole process being funded? Well, that's a very good questions there. One of the things that's fascinating about somewhere like Barden Park is that we spent some time when we were planning Barden Park to work out what we should do, how to build the track, uh, what things were important. And in doing that and going through that process, we visited a number of other locations. Mm. Uh, and I think from memory, there were probably three locations that I went to personally. Our staff probably went to more than that back mm. in the day. But there were three that I went to. And I remember one of them in one of the Sydney tracks we went to that we looked at. We looked at the track and in lane one on some of the turns, the track, the top surface had been worn through. Mm. So we looked at that and went, oh, that doesn't look great. And then even a bit in lane two, a bit of worn out. And so we looked at that and we said, what's happening here? What's the process with yep. this? Yep. And they said, very important, when you build Barden Park, when you build your athletics facility, make sure you're building the budget the ongoing maintenance of the track right? because it will wear out. And that's it's designed to do yep. that. It's not going to be in perfect condition forever. Yep. And then you get to the stage where it's like this, where this person showed these bits where they'd worn through. A, it's not very good for the people running on there, not very good for the athletes. And B, you get your track accredited to mm. be able to break a world record on, for example. So it's yep. international standard. Yep. You start to get this sort of thing and it loses that accreditation. Mm. Uh, so essentially, make sure you build it into the budget. So we took that on board and we said, that's great, we'll do that. And we'll put that in process and we estimated that about every 10 years, you would need to replace the track surface itself. So it's been down for about 10 years right now? Yeah, okay. yeah, that's right. So, And one of the things that I remember looking at the actual track laying when it was first mm. being done, and the the underlying surface of that, that was done by David Payne, they won the tender. Yep. And so they had 
minuscule tolerances they had to get for this track. Mm. And then the guys and these guys that do it, there's only two or three companies around the world and they came along and they were like artisans. What they were doing, really? they Is were laying right? this yes. track. It was fascinating to watch them. Yeah. I almost expected them to put a shroud around <laughs> what they were doing. No one could see in what they were doing. But anyway, they, yeah. they had this process where they would go along and I think from memory they put some sort of initial surface on. Right. And then they did something where they were just trying to find any deviations and there were all these chalk marks wow. over it where they had to go and just put a little bit of extra fill in there and then they put their top layer on. and, wow. and then Just it make it as flat as possible. Exactly right. And well, yeah. not as flat as possible because you actually oh, need a There's a bit slight, of a slight gradient, isn't exactly there? Exactly yeah. right. And you need water to run off as well. Mm, so true. Yeah, 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 all yeah, these okay. Oh, wow. So yeah. we got that all and that was done and uh, watching them was fascinating. And then we did the official opening, 29th of November 2014, we did the official opening. Yep. Rob Costello was actually at the official opening. Right. So that was fantastic as well. And so now, fast forward, so 10 years, we obviously will hit the 10th anniversary this year from the official yep. opening. Yep. But we, we again, always knew that we'd have to go through and do something there. Mm. We started budgeting for that from day one. We went, we've got to make sure mm. we budget for that. But you don't just say, well, that's it, we've done that, we'll put that million dollars aside and have that ready to go. You still apply for grants. And so we were... Fortunate enough to get a grant, and that was announced last year. Right. And we, we got that grant. Basically, we got $1.06 million from the state government yep. to resurface that. Now, the cost of it, the final tender, we put that at tender, the total resurfacing works will be $1.236 million. So yep. it'll cost us a little bit. But again... But you put this in the budget, you're saying. That's right. Now, yeah. the great part is... We've now got that money that we were putting aside to do that resurfacing that we can mm. use on other things. So yeah. it's not as if we don't have to allow for that. Yeah. We still allowed for it, but now that we've got that, we can use it for other areas. So that's fantastic. But the the important part here is the time it takes and trying to mm. get the time. Say, so how long does it normally take to sort of resurface and when's it going to be done? Yeah, six weeks it'll take. Okay. So it's out of action for a long time. And that is a popular facility. Yeah, yeah. So from the 11th of March, Monday 11th of March, that will start. Okay. And for approximately six weeks, obviously depending on the weather, yep. uh, that'll take there. Now, one of the things that I love about Barton Park is that it's used extensively during the summer months for little athletics. That's when mm. their, their seasons is on. Yep. Uh, then it gets to the cooler months and school carnivals. Well, I was going to say, that's right. The athletics carnivals always happen in the winter in the schools. Now, we find that there's probably 35 school carnivals. And you say, oh, wow. Man, there's not 35 schools in Dubbo. How can you possibly have You're school? You're talking regional kids here too, aren't you? you? You do. You get schools from around the area will come and have their school carnivals there. Mm. But then you get regional carnivals, you get state athletics carnivals, yep. and even little athletics, when they have their qualification process to make it through the state, they run various regional and, and uh, larger carnivals there. Mm. You'll get different carnivals, little athletics club runs a New Year's Eve, or not New Year's Eve, sorry, a New Year's carnival there. So there are a number of carnivals that are held there throughout the year, yep. so it is a busy thing. Even park run, they do a thing called track sesh every Wednesday night. Oh, they I go over there. didn't realise that. Yeah, okay, they have a, yeah, yeah. a little training run on Probably 25 people turn up to that right. every Wednesday yeah. night and they go and do some training there, extra training. So it yeah. is a well-utilised facility. Yeah. So six weeks will actually hurt. But again, we want to keep that track in perfect condition. Then we want to make sure we keep doing that maintenance and Absolutely. keep ongoing maintenance. So good facility. As you say, to maintain that international standard of the track. Yeah, that's right. For when we go and break our world records. Yes, well, that's right. <laughs> I noticed here, uh, Matt, that you had a chat to uh, one of the journalists there from the uh, Good Weekend, uh, Sydney Morning Herald Good Weekend. 
had a chat with them uh, during the week, did you? Or what? Why? Why was the chat? Was it about anything particular, or they just sort of thought, "We'll come out have a chat to Matt Dickerson"? <laughs> well, they might have thought that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's actually been a little bit of interest in what they were talking about and a couple other media inquiries just around renewables at the moment. Now, you remember that last week we had the Spices Creek. Creek Planning Agreement. Yes. So this is the wind farm at Spices Creek, 117 wind turbines out there at Spices Creek. Yep. So we put that planning agreement through and as part of that planning agreement, that was basically saying how much money would come back to Dubbo and that created some more interest and discussion around different things. And so in doing that, um, there's a few inquiries. So first of all, I actually got some just random inquiries from different media organisations mm. and they were talking about... Were they sort of about the planning agreement they were interested in or or the actual fact that Spices Creek is, is starting up here? I think it was probably prompted by the planning agreement, but of course, renewables, it's a pretty hot topic of conversation mm. across the nation, across the Absolutely. planet. Absolutely, yeah. So I think the fact that there was a planning agreement in place, let's talk about that, yeah. what's that mean for the community? Yep. And then that obviously led to a broader discussion. Yeah. So a journal from the Good Weekend came out and his intention was to certainly talk to me from a council perspective, talk to other people involved and go out and talk to some of the landholders. And I don't know what the story will be focused on. I don't know how that will play out. But mm. again, I'm happy to talk to anyone mm. about anything of, of relevance. Yeah, and absolutely. How they reported is up to them. I did notice a story in the Daily Liberal during the week where they actually interviewed two farmers that have had renewables, one was a solar farm, one was a wind farm, had renewables on their properties for some years now. Mm, mm. And just to give an idea of what that means for farming, and both of those stories were actually quite interesting, talking about how much renewables can enhance farming, mm. not take away from farming. Some mm. people talk about the loss of prime agricultural land. Mm. But in terms of those two stories, I thought they were quite interesting, talking mm. about how the off-farm income from renewables can help you maintain mm. your farming practices when mm. you've got droughts and, and even just adding to the overall income you've got, so you've got that certainty of income. Now, I think that's a big part of it, isn't it? It's the fact that keeping... And I think it's really, really important too that throughout the course of all of this debate is that you have to be able to hear all sides of the story. You know, like it's sometimes certain sides will will drown out the opinions and thoughts of others on this. And I think it's really important that uh, that all parties get their, their opportunity to have their say in regards to it, but also to, to listen to what what's actually happening from a, a particular point of view. You know, this is like you're talking about there about the farmer there who's actually financially benefited from it. So it's good actually to hear the fact that this is there is a benefit that is gained there from that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I don't know that we'll understand all the benefits that we'll mm. get from renewables. We've got people employed in Dubbo right now that yep. are in offices in Dubbo working here because of the renewables around the area. So there's employment there, definitely. We see sponsorship. So, for example, the... Uh, Squadron Energy, who we've talked yeah. about before. I was just trying to decide whether I should say our company name, but they're on the front of the yeah, that's right. Uh, of, of it's the out there. We've t-shirt. talked about so, it on many occasions. That's yeah, that's right. right. So Squadron Energy, they've been fantastic in that they've supported different events in Dubbo. I've seen uh, various things sponsored by Squadron Energy on, on mm. the front of Jersey. So, for example, Tour to O'Rock, I know they're sponsoring that. When you've got something like the Dubbo Stampede, they're a major sponsor of that. So they're involved in the community, putting money back into the community for mm. those things. But it's all the ancillary employment, ancillary jobs, just the planning agreements, the funds that are coming in from an economic point of view, mm. definitely I think people start to realise that this is actually good for our economy. Mm. Again, obviously there's some individuals who aren't fans as such and they've got their own reasons for that. But in general, from my perspective, I'm trying to look back at the bigger picture. My job as a Mayor of Dubbo Regional Council is really to look at how can we benefit 
a majority of people, yeah. the majority of the time. Yeah, which sort of leads me to your Merrill memo, actually, um, in regards to you wrote the memo this week. It was an interesting one uh, in regards to where personal tastes and thoughts and that come about. <laughs> uh, certainly created a bit of controversy. Uh, certainly sort of stirred uh, up um, the horn's nest a bit in regards to some some thoughts in regards to what people suggest that maybe you were uh, lacking a sense of understanding of, of, of the bigger picture of what this is all about. Uh, but what are your thoughts and responses to that? It is interesting, and, and so there's been so that was the one from the week before, which has had uh, several comments about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. and the one. The following you used week the analogy was, of yellow or something, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. What I was trying to do in, in that Merrill memo, which maybe I missed the point, or maybe mm. people missed my point, I'm not sure which that's way it right. goes. Depending on which side of the coin you're flipping on. Yeah, yeah that's right. The, the point I made in that particular one was that there are often different points of view. And sometimes when you're focused on your point of view, you don't always see it from another point of view. And and I play hypotheticals and I did one once before with the colour orange and I talked yes. about the fact that I, I decided I didn't like the colour orange so any DA that came to council was going to be rejected. Mm. And I talked about how the fact that planning didn't work like that and my preference for colour was irrelevant. And in fact, the preference for colour in a DA was irrelevant. It mm. really came down to the planning laws. In this one, I picked on the colour yellow. I said that suddenly I've gained, in my hypothetical scenario, I've gained an affliction to the colour yellow. Yep. So I'm pretending I'm a farmer and I'm sitting out there and everyone around us is growing wheat crops and one of our farmers in the area, in the district, has decided that he's going to grow canola. And mm. how dare he do that because... Me, everyone knows I've got an affliction to the colour yellow. I can't stand the colour yellow. And as soon as he goes and plants that crop, then I'm going to have fields of yellow confronting mm. me every morning when I get up and how dare he do that. And I went further and said, mm. well, imagine if you did that. Imagine if you went over to the next door neighbour and said, stop growing canola because I don't like yellow. He'd say, mate, get back in your box. This is my land. Mm. I'm growing a legal crop on this called canola. Mm. I'm allowed to grow a legal crop on that. And if you don't like the look of it from the other side of your fence, then I'm sorry, there's not much I can do mm. about that. And then I even went further, trying to be provocative and saying, to make it even worse, I'm finding that the price that they're getting for canola at the moment is much better than the price I'm getting for my weed crop. So not only do I have to look at something that's ugly and terrible and yep. just yellow, yep. I'm also seeing my neighbour that's getting paid more money for his crop than I am. Mm. So again, it's a silly scenario. Mm. I can't see that ever happening. But you know what, though? Here's the thing. You've used an analogy there. You know, to, to describe the nature of uh, the wind farms and where they're sort of placed. Now, you've been accused of oversimplifying the, the, <laughs> this situation. Y your thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting. I did try and make it simple. I, yeah. I, I actually well, that's that, why we use analogies. That's right. And I tried to paint that silly, simple example. And if you just told that story without it being an analogy, people would say, well, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. What neighbour would ever complain about your growing canola? But when you look at a wind turbine, it's very similar. If I'm a farmer and I decide the best use of some of my properties to put a wind turbine on there, it generates some income from me for me. It gives me off-farm income, so in a drought I can keep feeding my sheep and cattle, for example. Yep. Yep. And I decide to do that, and my neighbour says, oh, no, you've got something in there I don't like the look of. You've got something there I don't like. Stop doing it. And by the way, you're making really good money out of it. Mm. I don't like the fact you're making good money out of it. Can mm. you, you stop doing it. It's a terrible thing. Now, from that perspective... Well, it's my land. Mm -hmm. uh, wind turbine is legal. Again, if it goes through the planning processes, it's legal for me to have a wind turbine on my farm and I decide that's the best use of my property, then I should be able to do that. Mm. So people seem to not realise that they're doing something very similar to a canola crop when you talk mm. about a wind turbine. Now, people tell me also for other reasons they're opposed to wind turbines. And so 
Again, I've oversimplified that example. There are other legitimate concerns. I take that on board. But I just wanted to demonstrate to people that there are two points of view and there are different ways of approaching things. Yeah, this is a really important point you've just raised. You're not the governing authority here, Matt, in regards to what's going to be you know, placed uh, where people are going to place the wind turbines, where people are going to place the solar panels, things like that. You don't have any control over that, do you? Now, like that, that, that's as the even as the mayor of Dubbo, you can't control that in this region, which makes it really interesting. Then the fact that all of this vitriol, I'll put it as that, heading towards you. This is your opinion on this, but it's also you're stating this as obviously the mayor of Dubbo, but it's also Matt Dickerson stating this is my opinion on this as well. I find that I find it very difficult sometimes as a community member to sort of have to read a lot of the vitriol that goes heading towards you in regards to this because I think some people maybe think the fact that you can actually you know have some sway in gov- the government authority base to actually make change on this you don't have that capacity and that's that's the thing that I look at this and I go well look you're out there you're putting your opinion out there in regards to this and you believe that this is the right way forward and to be honest, I'm with you 100%. This is, you know, I'm sitting here now going, yeah, this is the way of the future. There are going to be energy sources set up all around the world. There currently are energy sources set up around the world. Right now, we are so focused on the coal still and the, the gas and things like that. They have to be put somewhere. There's an opportunity here for us in this region to have a whole new energy source that the world is embracing and moving towards. I have to. We have to move away from the current old sort system. It's, that's a, it's a finite source of energy. We're moving here into a space. here, in, We've been located here in our regions, being an opportunity here for us to set up this as being a renewable energy zone. This is a, I'll keep using this word opportunity, but it really is. People, we're going to have different opinions on this. We're going to, some of us are going to like it, some of us are going to hate it. But I still think we have to be able to respect each other's opinions on moving forward and how we feel about this. But at the end of the day, this is going to be our future. If we embrace it and take it, what you're talking about here, Matt, this is why you've been so passionate about this as the mayor. You've been so passionate about this for a long time, about seeing this as an opportunity for us to embrace that is a once-in-a-lifetime generational-type opportunity. If we do it right, if we do what you're doing, you know, the planning agreements, this sort of stuff, trying to get the one half percent doing what we can, we can all benefit as a community. But let's stop the vitriol. Let's stop all that, you know, sort of slandering of, of, of people like yourself simply because of the fact that you have an opinion, which I can tell you, Billions of people in the world still have those same opinions. It's you know it, to me this is maybe me trying to defend the cause for you here, but I it, it's I just look at that sort of stuff and I think, look, come on, folks, let's tone it down. Let's focus on what we need to focus on. Well, I think you're right. I'm more than happy to have a discussion, have a debate, put different points of view forward. Mm. But I think you're right. The way you do it and the way you get good outcomes is by having ears, two of them, mouth, one of them. So Absolutely, maybe listen twice as much as yep. you, you talk. And actually having that discussion in a reasonable, sensible way. And right. so that gets better outcomes for all. And, of course, some might say that I'm not listening to some of their concerns and their needs. But, again, happy to hear those. But what what we've got to do, as you say, is look at how we can gain a majority or a benefit for the majority of our residents yep. for the best possible way. Now, we're not the consent authority. Yep. And I don't know that it's giving up by saying that we can't stop it. It's reality. Yep. I can't change the reserve bank interest rate. Some people are struggling to buy a home in Dubbo at the moment. I would love to be able to put interest rates lower. I can't do that. I'm not going to waste my energy ringing the governor every day and saying, can you drop the interest rate? Yeah. People 
are struggling here in Dubbo. Can you drop the interest rates, please? Can you drop that? It's not going to get anywhere. I don't have that authority. Mm. And wind turbines, solar farms, etc. they're going through the New South Wales Department of Planning, state government processes. I'm not the consent authority, but how can I gain a benefit for our community? That's right. Well, that's my job, so let's see how we can do that. Yeah. It is interesting, though, and, and while you're on mayoral memos, I'll, I'll jump forward to the one I did last week. Mm. I've been at a few events at the Western Plains Cultural Centre over the last couple of weeks, so it just struck me that what a great facility this was. And the history goes back for that facility to before I was on council. And I thought I might just go back and have a bit of a look at that history there because I wondered how that was received by the community at the time. And again, I was involved a little bit because a little bit happened after I was elected to council. And I wonder how things change over time. So I go back and I'll go right back actually, 8th of July, 1917. That was before that the Parliament Council. Yeah, there it was, yeah. yeah. Dubbo High School was officially opened. So yes. that's when it started. It was the first, apparently the first secondary school in the west of the state. Now I assume that's the first dedicated secondary school. There would have been other schools at the time. Mm. It would have been a, a total education school, but the first secondary school. In June 2001, the last school assembly was held at Dubbo High School. And then... On the 18th of September 2001, so obviously there have been some discussions before that point, council resolved to accept the offer from the Department of Education to buy the building and the associated land for $250,000 with the sole purpose of developing a cultural centre. Now, the good part about that was way back on the 6th of December 1999, there was a new committee formed or a working party. It was called the Cultural Centre Working Party and they wanted to have somewhere they could have a home. So Mm. there was a strategy in place Based on some of those meetings from starting in 1999, they got to the point by 2001, they knew the school was closing down, so they were trying to buy that school. So there were negotiations with council and the state government. The state government wanted to get their best return on their asset. Council wanted it for free. Anyway, they ended up negotiating. They got $250,000. Now, you look at it now, that is the number one visited location in Dubbo, that council owns. Wow, there you go. It's the number two visit location in Dubbo from a tourism or a a community asset. So the zoo's number one. That's number two in the community. Mm. Mm. And I looked at it when a few things I've been at lately where the community arts centre is being well utilised, the exhibition space is being well utilised, the cafe is being well utilised. So all fantastic. So you think, well, that's a no-brainer. What a great decision from council. Obviously, the working party being set up, there was a strategy in place. They made the purchase based on that strategy. That's where the cultural centre would go. Mm. Everything's fantastic. Mm. But when you look back at those council records, on the 18th of September 2001, there were several amendments put forward right. to try and change that decision or try and change that meeting. And in the end, the vote from council only went through 7-5. There were four right. councils okay. back in those days. So pretty tight decision in yeah, terms yeah. of that. And then on the back of that, Councillor Richard Mutton, good friend of mine, yes. um, he very happily moved a motion of no confidence in Alan Smith, the mayor of the day. Oh, okay. Another good right. friend of mine. Yes, I've talked to yes. both of them about this situation yeah. and, and they both look back at it with interest now. Mm. But again, a motion of no confidence in the mayor of the day for buying the cultural, or sorry, buying Dubbo High School to be used to develop into a cultural centre. Now, it was a majority vote of council for yep. a start. Yeah. So it's not the mayor's fault. He didn't go and decide to write a mm. cheque for 250 grand. Mm. So a motion of no confidence in, in the mayor seems a bit rich for a start. But again, Richard was probably stirring up some trouble, <laughs> as, as he as, sometimes as wants to done. do. That's right. <laughs> uh, and so that's the first part of it. Yes. But then the, the controversy, if you like, around this facility. Mm. Now, in the end, it came when I got on the council, the plans had already been started 
working through. And so essentially that was happening. It got delayed a little bit. You might remember there was a fire back on mm. the 15th of April 2003. So council temporarily moved to Depot High School. Lucky they had bought it there. That was yep. a bit fortuitous. But when I first got on council, we were actually meeting, council meetings were held in Depot High School still. So it delayed it all. But then 10th of February 2007, $8.2 million have been spent on that building that we've got there now. And that's when... Professor Marie Bashir came along as the governing New South Wales and officially cut the ribbon. Alan Smith was still mayor at the time. Yep. So when you look at all that, and again, we look at that facility now, it was obviously a bit controversial yeah. back in the day. Again, yeah. before I got on council, motions of no confidence in the mayor, which actually, by the way, mean nothing. You can have a, a vote. I don't think the even vote got up. And if it got up, it was, okay, move on to the next item. The agenda. Yeah, okay, it means right. nothing. Yep. But it's a, it's a show that you're not happy with someone yeah, as such. Yeah, right, okay. So you've got all this controversy. You've got something happening there. It seemed like a fairly simple process. Mm. We're just buying a building. We're going to use it for a cultural centre. Even if they mm. bought the building and used mm. it for something else, it doesn't seem like that bad mm. a purchase. Two hundred fifty grand back in 2001 for mm. all of that space there, pretty close to the centre of town. Yep. Well, not too bad an outcome. Well, you can see a situation there with the fact that there, there was a lot of debate, a lot of discussion. The decision was eventually made. Yes, there's a lot of emotion associated with sometimes where our decisions were made. But the greater good became the greater focus. And I do wonder, when I think about that little example about Richard moving motion no confidence mm. and, and all the discussion, and again, five councillors voting against the purchase mm. of this particular asset, I do wonder sometimes when you look at it now, you drive past and you go, oh, you know, what a great facility. You don't think about all those things. No, no. I do wonder if in five years' time, ten years' time, we drive along and we look at some wind turbines and we go, oh, isn't that great out there? Whether... There's a lot of controversy, a lot of mm. discussion and debate, which is mm. still good for mm. a community to have those discussions, yep. but whether we are creating a lot more angst and a lot more, I suppose, disharmony in a community mm. over something that is going to happen, as you said, this is a mm. whole new world. And I would actually rather it be happening in our community than somewhere else because we can take advantage Absolutely. of that opportunity, that money that's, that's right. going to flow in. Yeah. So, yeah, I do wonder, looking back, in 10 years' time, whether or not we'll say, gee, I wonder why we were so stressed about all that back if then. If we're both doing this in 10 years' time, mate, we can look back quite reflectively, I'm sure. <laughs> now, the councillor workshop that you had there um, on Thursday night uh, looks as though there's a couple of interesting little points of discussion that got raised. Uh, so there's a couple of little things here. Uh, let's just quickly go through them. The first one, Wellington Caves um, and the potential future of the Wellington Caves. What's... Are we concerned that maybe the Bonington Caves uh, may not be sort of profitable as, as, a, as a, a way of moving forward? Well, let me just go back one step. So workshops, as you know, but just to make sure our listeners are aware. we have a decision-making process. It's more no, of a chat to chat. We have a lot of workshops because we can delve down deeply into a particular topic. When it finally comes to council for a resolution, some final direction or a final decision, you want to make sure that councillors a really understanding of all of this information. And even when we see business papers, last business papers were over 500 pages long, mm. even reading that information about different topics, there's still more that you want to know. There's still more questions. So mm. our typical process is if there are things coming up, we will put workshops on, we'll hold workshops, we'll discuss. It's a, a report will come through, but it's a good open discussion. We can talk about a whole range of things. Think about it a bit. Talk to some people in the community about that. Mention on a podcast, for example. Yep. Yep. And then when it finally comes to any final decision being made, you feel like you've got a lot more background information. Mm. So there are three main topics. So in the Wellington Caves, the issue with the Wellington Caves, there's a couple of things there. It's a fantastic scientific site. Mm. We manage that. It's Crown land. Yep. We manage that on behalf of the Crown, on behalf of the state government. And we don't know of any other 
cave facility, anything like that, that's managed by a local council. Normally yeah. it's managed by some department of the state government. Yep. But that's fine. We take advantage of that and create as a tourism attraction. Mm. Very roughly, we get about 30,000 tourists go through there. And mm. when I say Wellington Caves, there's a caravan park and the caves facility there. Yep. We've spent some money there. You've got a, a nice new exhibit down there. There was some amalgamation money spent on that. So mm. it's a nice facility, but it does cost the community money. And when we look at that, we start to say, what can we do better? How can we manage that better? Can we have other attractions to part of it? Can we combine things there? There's a golf course out there as well. What yep. can we do? So yep. it was really a discussion about the Wellington Caves in general. Yeah, okay. What's the future? The future, they'll still be there. They're, they're not going away. Right. We're not going to stop so having So there's been them no as, discussions point of time about closing up the caves. Oh, there, there's absolutely no discussion about anything like that. Right. It's really about the best way to utilise them for the community, the best way to attract people to Wellington mm. as a great attraction for Wellington, mm. how can we do that? Because we want to make sure we maximise the the outcome, the potential for those. And let's face it, with the renewables game, there might be a bit more money around Wellington. You might get more tourists coming through. If we get mm. the React Centre up, for example, yep. there might be 100,000 tourists a year. Yeah, well, that's right. Absolutely. If we do it right, if we manage those caves effectively, those 100,000 visitors that come to the React Centre might go, or not all of them, mm. but we might be able to capture a number of those to go to Wellington Caves as well. So mm. the 30,000 to go to Wellington Caves, imagine if that was 50,000 to go yeah, to Wellington Caves, right. for example. So Problem it's solved. a great facility. Let's yeah. keep working on it. Bungalgumby Road Development Control Plan in the entire Northwest Precinct. This is the new development area, uh, which is, a, well, I'm assuming probably within the next 18 months or so will probably be underway. Well, I did actually ask at this workshop, there was a previous time we were doing an announcement at the facility or at the mm. site itself, and I said to one of the staff, okay, tell me when the first house is going to start being constructed here. Yeah. And at that particular time, he said the end of next year, which was the end of this year now. Right, yep. And so I did say to him again, what's the new time frame? Yes, what's your estimation there? And I said, you could say the end of next year forever, because it's always correct. Every In five years' time, end of next year. <laughs> That's right. Another five years' time, end of next year. But Are we did, any closer, though? Well, he did say that he still was confident that we'd see some house construction start by the end of this year. Oh, okay. So you're still holding that time frame. I still think that's ambitious. Yeah. But there's a lot to go on there. And the development control plan is one of those. Now, we've tried to develop this whole mm. area. There's a number of developers involved. Council owns some land, but there's another a number of other private developers that own land there. Right. Our vision for that area is to have a development control plan that goes over the whole area and have mm. a different style of development across that whole area. We've got a bit of an issue that there is one developer who doesn't really love our plan, our vision for the development control plan, mm -hmm. and wants a separate development control plan for their parcel of land. So we'll go through and keep having those discussions. Right. We ultimately are council, so we can decide what that development control plan looks like, but yep. obviously you want to work in with developers because they're going to do the development, be the ones developing the site. Yep. So that's a tricky one mm. to see what's the best outcome for the overall community mm. and for developer developer want the best outcome from so I'm assuming that's a lot of negotiations and uh, sort of sitting and chatting and talking about what the best overall plan is is that the, the main focus again part of, the greater good thing yeah the part of all of that the greater good uh, and we could just say that's it we're making a decision it's a council resolution to have a development control plan and that's it job done end of story mm. you've got to fit in with that 
but I don't think that's the best way you're going to get the best development occurring. So you want to work with developers. But again, mm. if a developer wants something that's unreasonable in a DCP, yeah. then we might say, no, we'll draw the line there. So as much as we can, we'll keep developing that. But again, that workshop was really just to give us more background, okay. more information on that process and just make sure that councillors are up to speed because sometimes various proponents or developers will talk to councillors and it's important for us to have that information. Right. And finally, the livestock markets. Uh, what's what's happening out there? Why was that sort of brought up as a point of discussion? Well, it's been something that we've discussed for a long time about okay. the business model of the livestock markets. Now, this isn't a problem where we're not making money on the livestock markets. We do make money. We do return money back to our bottom line for council. Mm. But just the structure of that the way the agents are structured in terms of their relationship with council and the legal structure there. There's a lot of history there and there's also a lot of information that it's changed over the years. We've got new directives, new guidelines. So again, that's a, an important one. We've been working on that one for a couple of years now. In fact, I think we'll do a little bit of work back when I was on council before. Maybe not much has happened in between, but mm. we've certainly been planning on that to get that structure right. And that's important. It's a really important facility for Dubbo mm. in terms of the money it brings to Dubbo and injects in the economy. So the stock and station agents, are they the controlling interest out there or how does it work? <laughs> Good question. Right, okay. <laughs> it's complicated. And, right, okay. and again, we've had solicitors involved to make sure we get it right. And again, new government guidelines and how different facilities like that might be run. So it's, I, I can't actually say to you definitively uh, exactly the structure of that at the moment. Right. Because that's something that we've been discussing about. Oh, this what is part the of a discussion, okay. Exactly right. So, so <laughs> right, okay. you might look at it from the outside and see it's pretty easy to just say, oh, the structure is this, but mm. it's a fairly complicated process and mm. history plays a part of it. I was going to say the history well. part's probably big on that as well. Yeah. Okay. Right, uh, this is a very simple one here, Matt, in regards to the aged care facility in Dubbo uh, that you attended there during the week. There was a telehealth show uh, talking about how maybe telehealth is going to play a bigger role in, I suppose, our future of uh, of medicine and, and, and general practice and, uh, you know, doctors in Sydney and medical professionals in Sydney sort of assisting people out here in the country uh, through telehealth. So is, how did it all go? Well, it, you were spot on, absolutely right. This is going to be a big part of our future. And the way places like Dubbo will operate will rely on telehealth, but more so when you go to even smaller communities, mm. relying on those different telehealth facilities. Because it's hard for people to get to a major location like a Dubbo or even a Sydney, and it's hard for some of those specialists to mm. use their time effectively and get out to some of these locations. Yep. This example is a pretty simple one. It was at the... RFBI, the aged care facility up there on the highway, on Mitchell Highway. Oh, yeah. And yep, yep. in that particular facility, and I, I don't know, well, I, I do poetry there on a regular basis, but this mm. one was a bit different. This one, I was, I was going along to look at this new cart they bought. So it's a telehealth cart. Right. And the idea here is that when you've got residents there who might want to see their doctor, sometimes they've got limited mobility, so it might be half for them to get in and see their doctor. And then for their doctor to come out and see them, they do regular schedules, but if something else happens out of the ordinary mm. or out of their regular schedule, then they might want to be able to see those patients in a short period of time. It might be hard to do that. Yep. The whole idea of this particular cart was that it can give access to a number of parameters of the body without the doctor needing to physically be there. So, for example, they gave some demonstrations. They hooked up to a doctor, so there was a doctor there right. remotely. So, hi, how are you going? And yeah. now, let's say you've got so, some... So, like a little video screen, Like a video it? screen. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and so the same as you and I would do a video call and say, how are you going? Yeah. You've got that, a bit bigger screen, so the... the doctor can see exactly what's going on and the patient can see the doctor yep. but then you've got a number of facilities on this cart so simple ones for example you put on the finger 
uh, clamp and you've got yep. your oxygen level like a, a, and, and your pulse. So your heart rates and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Same thing you have in a, in a hospital, you plug into a machine. So straight away that's showing up on screen. The doctor can look at that and say, right, I can see those things. It's got an ECG built in. So oh, wow. you can actually see the, the same as you'd go into the hospital and have an ECG hooked up. Yeah. You've got nurses there at the so aged care facility. the nurses put the stuff on, do they? Correct. So the nurses okay. are qualified to put these or use these devices as such. So yep. you, you've got that. You've got things where you can just check temperature, simple things. Yeah. So you, you can get some basic Blood readings. pressure checks and stuff like that. Blood pressure checks. So someone sits down in their room, mm. the the unit is wheeled in, the nurse says, right, let's just put this on, check your blood pressure, mm. oxygen levels, heart rate, do an ECG. The doctor at the other end can look at those and say, mm. okay, happy with happy. Oh, hold on. There is a bit of an issue there. Uh, they're mm. on blood pressure medication. That's a bit high. Let's see if we could change the medication or whatever. Or no, we need to get you into a hospital or we need to get to see you quickly. Yep. Then you've also got just a, a little device to see inside ears. Uh, apparently, people a bit older get a bit of wax build up yeah. so they can just okay. check in their ears. And it's a very uh, high magnification camera but also a light that shines in there so that looked quite interesting looking in some ears yeah, on the yeah. day they were doing some little demos yeah, of it yeah. uh, there's another one that was a, a wound camera and that right. was interesting as well so again it was just a high magnifi- magnification camera if you've got a, a cut on you for example yep. you can get a really good look at that and the doctor at the other end can actually see that and just basically that's unreal yeah check that yeah, yeah. and and on top of all that, and it's doing it all in real time as well. Real so, time, so they're not waiting for results to come through and things like that. They're actually seeing it themselves. Spot on, and you can actually have the conversation. So the patient mm. can be there, and the doctor can look at some of the results. How's that feeling? Do we need mm. to go and do something extra with that? And again, for for RFBI, this mm. is a nice add-on that they can mm. have for their residents there. Mm. I'm sure other aged care facilities are doing something mm. similar, but it really just gives you a snapshot. Now, they were doing it for a GP focus, but there's no reason they couldn't use the same thing for a specialist. I was going to say, like, imagine the specialist aspect of it, because that's where most of the specialists are located in Sydney. And, mm. and we seem to be like every other rural centre around the place seems to be struggling right now with our specialists. Uh, so, yeah, that'd be fabulous. Exactly right. And I think one of the things that, really comes to mind with this is that you can have a better quality of life mm. and you can be anywhere. So if mm. you feel like your health needs you to be in Sydney, yep. well, no, you don't need to be. You can be living in Dubbo and, and live in this beautiful location and you look at the view they've got out there and it's fantastic. Mm. And mm. So I think in general we'll see more and more of this, again, sure in Dubbo, but also further west as we go. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, just very quickly, mate, uh, the Wheelers Lane reconstruction, stage two, the change traffic conditions. I've driven past there a few times uh, during the week. And it looks as though, uh, boy, oh boy, they're moving along pretty quickly there with it. They are moving quickly, and we talk about it a bit. We would love perfect roads. Unfortunately, perfect roads need time to actually get to that stage. So That's right. It is a bit of an inconvenience. I just say to people, please be patient. Please be aware of it. But We've got a time frame for when it's to be finished by? Or? Monday the 26th of February is when it starts. So there'll be some closures there. Now, if you look at the uh, northbound lanes, then 41 Wheels Lane up to Mile Street is where they'll be closed. So that's, again, uh, some interesting uh, you know, problems you might have there. But again, if you can go around that area, then mm. absolutely do that. So there'll be a temporary road closure there. There'll be a detour in place. So you're probably going to get one week of that. So that'll mm. be a bit of inconvenience mm. in particular for people that live along I was there. Say, can residents still access it? Or well, they're probably work? limited access to their house along there. They'll probably have to park away somewhere and actually walk up to there, which yeah, is a okay. bit of a pain. But again... We need to do work on the road. We want the road in good condition. It That's is right. unfortunate, but there's no other way we can do it. But That's right. close off some of those roads. And again, we try and do it as short a time frame as possible. Mm. But these sort of road closures and, and any information, we talk about it a little bit. Your say on the 
Dubbo website, if you just go to your site at dubbo.nsw.gov.au, yep. you get to see all these up-to-date up things such as road closure, any mm. open surveys, open public uh, feedback, anything like that. Yep. So it's a good place to just be familiar with and go and visit yeah, from time to time. Right. Now, uh, just a couple of quick ones here too, Matt, uh, just in regards to the Waste to Art competition. Now, the entries, um, they've been open now for a little while. This is this uh, wonderful uh, competition that runs down there at the um, Western Plains Cultural Centre. I say it right this week. I think I referred to it as the Art Gallery last week, and uh, <laughs> I got chipped by someone on that one. So, <laughs> now, Waste to Art, just a bit of an update. We've mentioned it before. Yep. Just a quick reminder, the entries close on the 3rd of May. Yeah, this nice. year. So it's so got a little bit got, of time. That's right, you've got time, but for some people, they've got a fair bit of work to do yeah, to make. Well, that's right. It's probably things. not something you can do overnight, is it? That's right. So 3rd of May, 2024, entries closed for Waste to Art Competition for Brilliant. this year. Yep. So, so jump in on that one. The other one is the applications are now open for the Minakamo, Camo, so right, Minakamo, uh, Sister City Exchange. Mm, and again, get your nominations in for that. We were well and truly oversubscribed mm. last year. If you missed out last year and you're still in the right age bracket, 15 so to 18. 10 students, that's right? 10 students, that's right. So 10 student positions and two chaperones. Yeah, okay. So you need to put an application in for those as well. They close on the 15th of April, 2024. Okay, so it's uh, sort of a couple of weeks for that one as well. Yeah, yeah. But a great so, opportunity there though too. Absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's been a big program. We've got a lot to get through when we did. Um, so it's that time of the week. It's time for the Limerick of the Week. So what have you got for us this week? You can probably guess. I couldn't do anything else but the Touch 40. Oh, you'd such have to go that way, wouldn't you? It's been such a big event. Major event for us. So here we go. This is all about the Touch. The city's a buzz, can't you see? For Touch Footy, they've come eagerly. From far and near, they all gather here in Dubbo where they now long to be. Oh, I love it. I love that last little bit there as well. They long to be here, absolutely. Well, folks, that concludes again for Straight From The Mayor's Mouth. Until next week, take care. Straight From The Mayor's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.